0: If you've been with us the last few weeks, you know we are in a series called I Am, where we're talking about the seven I Am statements of Jesus throughout the book of John. And throughout the book of John, Jesus gives these I Am statements where he says, I am, and then gives us an example of who he is. And sometimes we gloss over the significance of these statements. And so we want it to be really intentional leading into the Easter season to really remind ourselves, or maybe for some of you, you're hearing it for the first time, who Jesus is. Because as we approach Easter Sunday, as we celebrate all that that Jesus did on the cross and rising from the dead, I know this, that it will be more significant if it's fresh in your mind, the significance of not just what Jesus did, but who he was and who he is in our lives. And so we've already covered a few of these I Am statements. We talked about how Jesus talked about being the bread of life and how he is our ultimate sustenance. He is what sustains us. He is everything that we need. We talked about how he is the light of the world, how he shows us his path, but we talked about really how light deals with darkness, that sometimes we don't really want to expose our darkness to the light, but how God in his grace is so gracious towards us that he exposes us to the light so that we can find healing. And this week, we're, we're jumping ahead to really the last I am statement, and we're still covering the others, but kind of to, to be on pace with where we want to be for Easter, we're jumping ahead to the last I am statement, and this one is a little bit unique, because have you ever noticed that you speak a little bit differently depending on who you are speaking to? There's a tone that I will occasionally take with my children that is an appropriate tone to let them know that I am the authority figure in the moment. Or an appropriate tone to let them know that perhaps what they're doing in a moment could cause them harm or is dangerous into their life. That same tone, I would never use with my wife, Kristen. I would never use that tone with her. I would assume that she knows things that are dangerous, that she knows things she shouldn't do. And even if I thought she was doing something dangerous or that could bring harm, I would go about it much more carefully than I would with my children. And what we see throughout the book of John is that Jesus is talking to different audiences. He's talking to different people. And he changes the way that he speaks based on who he is talking to. And there are often moments in the scripture where Jesus speaks in stories. He speaks in parables. He speaks in analogies. He speaks in comparisons. And when he does that so often, the reason he's doing it is because he is mindful of who he's talking to but he's not only mindful of who he's talking to, he's also mindful of who else might be listening. How many of you know that sometimes you are talking to one person, but you're very aware that they are not the only person that's listening? I find myself in this phase a lot as a parent. Like if you're on a playground and there's like one kid who is just like acting crazy, climbing things they shouldn't be climbing, pulling things they shouldn't be pulling, and then you will talk to your kid about that thing, hoping that that kid hears you and gets the picture. Like, you know, you're talking to your kid, like, hey, you know, we don't climb on that. And they're like, what in the world? I'm not climbing on that. And you're like, I know, I'm not actually saying it to you. I'm saying it to you, but I'm saying it for that kid who's going to injure all of us. And sometimes this is what Jesus did when he would tell parables, is he would be talking to his followers. He would be talking to his disciples, but he would also be very aware that there were religious leaders listening. He would be very aware that there were outsiders who were listening that were not receptive to his message and so often what he would say would, would strike a chord with the people he was t- speaking to, and they would understand it. But then there would be these religious leaders who would get kind of this second layer of understanding to what he was saying. But in this final I am statement, it, it's a little bit unique because in this final I am statement, he's speaking to his closest followers. He's speaking to his 12 disciples. And how many of you know that there's a different way, there's an unguarded way that you speak when you're speaking to people that that you know are your closest friends and your closest allies and the people that you know love and care for you the most. And he's speaking to those people, and so he speaks a little differently. But the context is also different because This is some of Jesus's final words to his disciples. And he knows that it it won't be long before he goes to the cross. He knows that his death is imminent in that moment. And so he knows that this is gonna be one of his final opportunities to drive home to his disciples who he is and why he came. And in this moment in John 15, beginning in verse one, this is what he says. And this is kind of in the middle of, One of the longest portions of scripture we have that is recording the words of Jesus. It's almost like in this moment, as he knows that he's with his disciples for the last time, he he wants to get out everything that he can in this moment. He wants to say everything that he can in this moment to drive home the purpose of why he came. Because he knows in this moment that they are about to walk through a real season of uncertainty. He knows that they are about to be really tested in what they know of him so far. That they've seen what he's done, they've heard what what he said, but he's about to go to the cross, and there is going to be this period where perhaps they don't understand all that is going on. And in chapter 15, verse 1 of the book of John, he says, "'I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful.'" Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. See, in this moment, multiple times in these few verses, Jesus drives home the point that you must remain in him to bear fruit. And he begins the whole discourse by saying, I am the vine and you are the branches. Now, over the last couple of weeks, we've, we've really focused on the understanding that the hearer would have had in these moments. And what you have to understand is that in the Old Testament, the, the symbolism, the picture of a vine is often used to describe the nation of Israel. The picture of a vine is, is often used and almost exclusively used in negative terms and negative connotations to essentially say that the nation of Israel, the, the people that he's talking to, that they are a vine that is not bearing fruit, that they are a vine that deserves to be cut off, that they are a vine that is not producing what they are meant to produce. And so for all of their lives, they've grown up hearing that the nation of Israel is this vine. That their people are this vine that is unable to bear fruit, that is unable to actually achieve what it is they were created to achieve. And then Jesus comes along and he flips the analogy on its head and he says, no, I am the vine, you are the branches. And so when Jesus says, I am the vine, what he's doing in that moment is he's taken this picture that they've had their entire lives this narrative of failure and judgment over their people and he's turning it on their head and he's saying what you were unable to do i have come to do for you that, that as as you have always known yourself under this banner of judgment under this banner of failure i am now the vine that will help you to produce what you were created to produce and see, I think often, even in this day, we, we live under this banner of judgment. We live under this banner of condemnation and this banner of failure where we feel like we just can't ever quite get it together. We just can't quite ever do the things that we know we should do. We can't quite ever follow the path that we know that we are supposed to follow. And Jesus in this moment is saying that your job as the branch is to stay connected to the vine. That your job is to stay connected to me in this moment. See, what Jesus is really saying to the disciples is that there is something required of you. That as a follower of Jesus, we're all required to bear fruit. But what he's really saying is, I'm requiring, to do, I'm requiring you to do something that you actually can't do. Have you ever been required to do something that you know you can't live up to? Like, have you ever been given a task that you know you cannot win at? You know you cannot succeed at? When I was growing up, we went to this same summer camp every year as a kid, and and I remember my first year at the camp, and everybody had to take a swim test, and I hated the swim test because I was a good swimmer, but I was terrible at treading water. I could not tread water at all. And I I had to take this swim test over and over each year. And I remember the first year I took the test and I failed. So I had to be in the red swim area and nobody else my age was in the red swim area. The red swim area was completely enclosed by a dock and I could stand in it. I was a short kid and I could totally stand in it. There was not a lot of fun going on in the red swim area. The blue swim area was on the other side of the dock and it was just the wide open lake. You could swim in the lake. There was a trampoline in the blue swim area. There was a slide in the blue swim area. And I spent the whole summer frustrated that I was not in the blue swim area. So the next year I go to camp, I'm still a good swimmer. I still can't tread water. 90 seconds we had to tread water in order to be in the blue swim area. And there was this camp counselor named Pat. Everybody has a good camp counselor at some point in their life, I hope. Someone that just really connects. And the year before, I had really connected with Pat Year two, Pat was a lifeguard, and so he was doing the swim test, and he said, hey, why don't you be in my group for the swim test? And I thought, this is great. So we do the swim test, we do the swim test, and I still don't pass the treaded water portion. And so I come back the next day, and Pat says, listen, I'm going to give you another chance at the swim test, and I'm going to give you some advice. He's like, the reason that you cannot tread water for 90 seconds is that when you tread water, you work way too hard your whole body is just working way too hard. He's like, you're doing like double the amount of strokes with your hands and legs that you actually need to do. And so you are wearing yourself out. And he's like, get in the water and just do about half of what you're doing and you'll tread for the right amount of time. And so I got in the water and sure enough, I started to tread water. I slowed myself down. I did a little bit less and I passed the swim test. And I got to swim in the blue area in summer too at camp. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. I got to swim in the blue area. But here's what I think. I think there's a lot of us that are working really hard and treading a lot of water to try to bear fruit in our lives. There's a lot of us who are really overexerting ourselves, striving, trying to find that lane that God has for us. And all the while, what Jesus is saying in this moment is, listen, you don't even have to actually work to bear fruit. You just have to stay connected to the vine. That those who stay connected to the vine, the natural byproduct of that connection is that you will bear fruit. See, so often we think that we have to stress, we think that we have to strive, when really as we stay connected to Jesus, bearing fruit is the result of that connection. But see, the truth is that, that in this moment, Jesus says, I am the true vine. I think it's very significant that he says, I am the true vine. Because if there is a true vine, that means there are false vines, If there is a true vine that you stay connected to and you bear the fruit of the kingdom, then there must be other vines that you can connect yourself to. And what Jesus is saying in this moment is that you have to stay connected to the true vine because there are other options that will tempt you to stay connected to. There are other options in your life that will tempt you to stay connected to. Many times I think we connect to the vine of our jobs. We connect to the vine of our source of income. We connect to the vine of relationships. We connect to the vine of finances. Sometimes we connect to the vine of location. If I can just get to this spot, this next house, this next place, whatever it might be, that would be my source. Then my life would really start to get going. We connect to the vine of status. We connect to the vine of having a title. But here's the truth is that your life bears the fruit of your attachments, Your life bears the fruit of your attachments. And that is why Jesus says, make sure that you stay connected to the vine. Make sure that you stay connected to me because every attachment bears fruit. What you produce in your life is a result of what you are connected to. It's a result of what you are connected to. There are things in your life sometimes that you, you can't seem to get rid of. There's a sense of failure that you can't seem to get rid of. For some of you, maybe there's a sense of condemnation that you can't seem to get rid of. For some of you, there may be a sense of shame that you can't seem to get rid of. Some of you just have too much drama in your life. These are all the fruit of connections in your life. We've all had that experience where there's like someone at work or someone at school that it just seems like whenever they're there, whenever they're present, they bring with them all of the drama. They bring with them all of the fighting. They bring with them all of the bickering. And then it's like one day they don't show up for school or they don't show up for work. And suddenly it's like everything is 10 times more peaceful. Everybody seems to get along. Everybody seems to just flow in unity. See, there is fruit of the connections that you have in your life. There is fruit of the people and the places and the things that you connect yourself to. And it's really hard to get rid of things that you are attached to. I have an attic full of things that we've been unable to get rid of because we have some sort of attachment to them. Totes and totes full of drawings that my kids drew that no one will probably ever see. But for some reason, you just can't get rid of them. Things that, that have some sentimental attachment to them. It's hard to get rid of things that you are truly attached to. And this is why Jesus says you need to be attached to the right things you need to be attached to me you need to remain in me see if you don't like the fruit of your life in this season pay attention to what you're attached to if you don't like the fruit of the season of this of this season of your life pay attention to what you're attached to pay attention to what you are connected to pay attention to who you are connected to pay attention to the things that you look to as the source of your life last week I was in a coffee shop downtown and I was there to do some work, and I was just working like in my notes and in pages in the moment, so I was just typing and doing some things, and and my iPad said that I was connected to the internet, and it showed that I was connected to the internet, and so I thought that I was connected to the internet, and I was working, and I was doing some work, and then finally I needed to check my email, I needed to do something online, and I went and I clicked the link for my email, and nothing happened, so the page could not load. I couldn't get on the internet, I couldn't connect to the internet And the truth was that it said that I was connected, but I actually wasn't connected. It said that I was connected, but I actually wasn't connected to the internet. And I think that sometimes this is the danger in our lives is that we will think that we are connected when we're not actually connected. And what Jesus says in this moment is Jesus says that that if you are not connected to the vine, if you do not remain in the vine, you can do nothing apart from being connected in the vine. So if you are already doing nothing, it's hard to know if you're actually attached to the vine. Because the fruit of doing nothing is being unattached from the vine. So if you're not attempting to do anything, you can't actually know if you're attached because it's in that moment that you actually try to do something that you realize, oh, I don't have the strength to do what it is I'm trying to do. I don't have the strength to walk through. Some of you have been hit with seasons of life that you completely did not expect, you you, you completely did not plan for. And in that moment, there's some of you, maybe you thrived and you realized that your relationship with God was everything. It was what sustained you, it was what got you through. But then there's others of you who you were hit with these moments and you felt like, I can't take another step. I can't seem to move forward. I can't seem to get out of this moment. And see, what Jesus is saying is that it's in those moments that you realize I was not as connected to the vine as I thought I was. And you need to come back and you need to remain in me so that I can remain in you. That is the danger of not being connected to the vine. Because when your whole life gets turned upside down, you will see the fruit of what you are connected to. You will see the fruit of what you are attached to. And he says in verse one and two, I am the true vine and my father is the true gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. See, if the first step to being with the vine is to be connected to the vine, the second step is to understand that there is a cost to that connection. There is a cost to that connection. He talks about pruning in this moment that everyone who Bears fruit will also be pruned so that they can bear more fruit. I have another internet story for you. The other day, I, we, we had this internet problem, and we had had internet problem after internet problem at our home, and so we were like, it is time to switch internet providers. And so I called up uh, internet provider B, and I said, listen, uh, I'm having a lot of problem with internet provider A can you help me? And they said, yes, we can come out. They said, they said, you don't even need anybody to come out. You can come to our store. You can pick up the box that we have. You can plug it into your current um, line and you will immediately be connected. You'll immediately be online. You'll be good to go. And I was stoked because uh, internet company A, that's uh, Frontier, said... <laughs> It's hard. It's too hard to keep track of them. Frontier said, Frontier said, it's going to be five days before we can come out. And I work from home. I was like, this is like, I might as well just go on vacation or something. And so finally, I go to uh, Xfinity. And. And I pick up the box and I come home and I plug it in and it it does not work. There is no internet. It doesn't work. And they promised me it would work. And so then they said, listen, we were wrong. Someone does have to come out and get your box going. And I was like, well, now I have the box in my house. This feels like a real bait and switch situation, but I have already canceled with Frontier. So it is what it is. So they come out and they fix it up. And I'm like, thank you. This is great. This is fantastic. Well, then a couple, about a month later, I get a bill and there's a very large charge for the person to come out to hook up said box that they said. They didn't have to come out and hook up. I know. So I called him. I called him. And I was like, listen, you promised me you would not have to come out. And then you did have to come out. And then you charged me for it. Like, I, I don't want this charge on there. And they're like, we cannot take the charge off. The charge is mandatory. You have to pay the fee for somebody to come out. And I was like, I'm not going to pay this fee for the, your, that you've put on my bill. I'm not going to pay it. And they were like, you have to pay it. And I said, well, then i am just cancel the service. And they were like, all right, we'll take it off. We'll take off the charge. And they took off the charge. But see, I think this is what happens often to us in our relationship with Jesus is that we realize that once we realize that there is a cost to the connection, we just want to cancel. Like once we realize there's a cost, we're just like, hey, I'm out. I was in for the connection to the vine. I was in for what it did for me. I was in for the benefits of it. But this pruning business, this cutting off business, this cost business, I wasn't in for that. I didn't sign up for that, and so I want out of this contract. I want out of this connection. See, this, this, the moment that there's a cost, we want to cancel. But here's what we have to realize is that Jesus says every branch that bears fruit is pruned so that it will bear more fruit. See, when we think about pruning, we think about loss, and we think about lack, When we think about pruning, we think about something being taken away from us. But notice that what Jesus says in this moment is that the pruning is so that you will bear even more fruit. That when you are pruned, you do not end up with less, you end up with more. That when you are pared back, you do not end up with less, you end up with more. See, the purpose of pruning is actually growth and abundance, The purpose of pruning is actually growth and abundance. Pruning is not punishment. Pruning is a reward for growth. That actually when you are growing, things are cut back so that you can grow more. And what you realize about pruning is that when you prune a tree... You don't actually just prune away what is dead. You don't actually prune away just what is negative. When there is pruning, there's actually a pruning of things that are perfectly healthy and perfectly good. That some things just have to be removed from your life in order to make room for better things in your life, which means that not all pruning is the removal of destructive things. That sometimes there are things that we that we take on as positive things, as good things in our lives that, that actually God takes away in order to make room for new. Now, if you're in this room and you're struggling with loss or with sickness, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that God caused that loss or God caused that sickness as a way of pruning. Because when we look through scriptures, what what we see is that Jesus is the one that is healing. Jesus is the one that is raising the dead. But we live in a fallen world and we we experience the effects of that. But here's what I am saying, that, that God is so good at his job that he can use something he did not cause to bring growth into your life. That he can use something he did not cause to bring growth into your life. God is so good at redemption that he can use something. That, that brings pain. He can use something that he does not, did not cause to bring growth in your life. And the truth is that, that pruning does not just come in hard seasons of life. I think we, realize, we often think of pruning as just a hard season. But the truth is that sometimes we are pruned in seasons of great growth and abundance because it says that everyone that bears fruit will be pruned. Because see, there are some things in our lives that, that only grow and only need pruning back in seasons of success. Like your pride does not usually need pruning when your business venture is failing, right? But, but then when suddenly you have all of this se- success and all of this abundance, often that pride will creep up and it's in those seasons that, that sometimes we are pruned back. See, we have to realize that pruning is not punishment, but it's an opportunity for growth. That, that when we are pruned, we should look for new growth in the next season. Because a season of pruning is always followed by a season of more growth, not just the regrowth of what was there, but additional growth, abundance in growth. And that is the reason that, that sometimes we are pruned. The artist Michelangelo famously said when he was asked about the figure of David that he carved from stone, he said, I, I saw the face of David in the stone before I began, and I simply chipped away everything that was not David. And I think that when we look at our lives, this is what Jesus is saying that he does with our lives, is that he sees the beautiful work of art. He sees what we were created to be, and he chips away everything. That is not making you more to be. See, he's not making you less. He's making you more. But the problem is that so often we settle for superficial fruit rather than supernatural fruit. But we settle for superficial fruit that we have brought on our own, superficial fruit that we have created on our own, that through our own connections, we have produced. When what Jesus is saying is, I want you to produce fruit that lasts. I want you to produce fruit that lasts. And the only way to do it is to abide and remain in me. Galatians chapter 5 says this, beginning in verse 19, it says, the acts of the flesh are obvious. control. This is the fruit that we were created to bear. And what Paul is saying in this moment is that there is a fruit that you can bear in your flesh, but it does not bring life. But there is a fruit that you can bear when you are connected to the vine that will bring life into your bones. This is the fruit that we were created to bear. And I think it's important to notice that that this is the fruit of the Spirit. It is not the fruits of the Spirit. Like you you do not grow in them selectively. Like you grow you do not just grow in patience because when you grow in patience you will grow in joy. When you grow in self-control you will grow in joy. These are meant to work together as as one fruit of the spirit that we are meant to grow in and to produce. And so what does it look like to bear fruit? Bearing fruit looks like loving when we are hated. Bearing fruit looks like joy when we should be angry. It looks like peace when we should be panicked. It looks like patience when we should be anxious. It looks like kindness when we should be mistreated. Gentleness when we could be harsh. The fruit of the Spirit is only available when we stay connected and remain in the vine. So what does it look like to abide in him? Abiding in Jesus looks like filling your life with things that stir your affections towards him. Filling your life with things that stir your affections toward him. See, a lot of times we spend our time striving and trying not to do bad things. We spend our time trying not to do bad things. That is just treading water. That is just wearing yourself down. That is, just, that, that is just exerting too much energy. What Jesus has called us to do is to stir our affections towards things that stir our affections towards him. The best way to spend our time is in those things. And see, there are, there are some things that the Bible tells us are ways that we are meant to stir our affection to him. Things like worship, things like prayer, things like being in the word. Those are like for all of us. Like Those are things that we should all do in order to abide in Jesus. But can I just tell you, there are things that for each and every one of us are unique to us that stir our affections towards God, that stir our affections towards him. Like I'm a very musical person and music is a way, like even outside of worship, like I can be listening to classical music. I can be listening to just about anything. And there are moments where something about it stirs my affection towards God. Because the way that he created me with my love for music and and my my, uh, joy in music, there is something in that that comes alive in me in those moments. And I would encourage each of you to find those things that stir your affections for Jesus. Find those things that point your attention towards Jesus. There was a psychologist named John Bowlby who did a study that is now known as attachment theory. It's now known as attachment theory. And basically what he said is that there are secure attachments and insecure attachments. And in secure attachments occur when you feel comfortable with a person and confident in their ability to provide for you. When you feel comfortable in their presence and confident in their ability to provide for you, you have a secure connection. But insecure attachments, insecure attachments where you're not quite sure if you're comfortable in someone's presence, there's, there's distance there. If you're not quite sure or not quite trusting in their ability to provide for you, those type of attachments produce anxiety, avoidance, and distress. So a secure connection leads to abiding, and an insecure connection leads to avoiding and disconnection. Have you ever had like a relationship that goes south, and so you just always avoid that other person? Like maybe it's a personal relationship, maybe it's a work relationship, but the relationship goes south and your answer to that, uh, that friction, your answer to that awkward relationship is just to completely avoid it. And usually we take it one step further and we don't just avoid that person, but we avoid places that we think that they might be. We're like, if they're gonna be there, I'm not gonna be there. Like if there's a chance they might be there, I'm not gonna be there. And so we avoid the people and the places where we have had these disconnected moments. And my fear is that we do this same thing with God, that when we feel as though our relationship with God has been damaged, when we feel as though our relationship with God has some level of disconnect in it, instead of abiding, we end up avoiding. Instead of abiding, we end up avoiding in those moments. See, that, that's why it's maybe difficult for some of you to even walk into a place like this because you're like, I, I need to just avoid any place that God might even be. Like any place that God might show up, I need to avoid because my relationship with him is not a strong connection. My relationship with him is not a strong connection. And I know that in a room like this, there are people who feel that way. Because there was another study done by another psychologist named David Brenner where they studied thousands and thousands of patients. And they asked each patient over a long period of time, believer or unbeliever, they asked, what do you think God's view of you is? If there is a God, what do you think he thinks of you? The number one answer by far, it wasn't even close, was disappointment. It wasn't even close. If you can say in one word, if there is a God, what is his view of you? Number one was disappointment. And see, this is a tool of the enemy, to make you believe that God is disappointed in you when he is actually delighted in you. It's a, it's a tool of the enemy to say, God is disappointed in you, so you cannot draw near to him. God is disappointed in you, so you cannot abide in him. You must avoid him because there is a brokenness in that relationship. See, too often when we, when we view God through that lens, what we do is we base our acceptance on our performance. We base our acceptance on our performance. And see, to remain in him is to remain in how he feels about you, not how you think he feels about you. It's to to remain in how he feels about you, not how you think he feels about you. It's not to remain in how you feel about yourself. It's to remain in how he feels about you. See, notice at the very beginning of this verse, he says, abide in me. You're already clean because of the word that I've spoken. At the beginning of the book of John, John describes Jesus as the word, that Jesus was the word coming to life, coming to walk in and among us. And so what he's saying in this moment is that because of me, because of me, you are already clean. So now abide in me. And see, we get it reversed where we think I have to clean myself up so that I can come and abide in him. But what Jesus is saying is come and abide in me and I will clean you up. Come and abide in me and I will clean you up. You don't have to get it all together before you come. You don't have to get it all together before you come and abide in me. See, avoiding is the worst thing that you can do. Avoiding is the worst thing that you can do when you're called to abide because when you avoid, you're actually staying away from the solution to your problem. But Jesus has called us to abide in him, to stay connected to the vine. And he says, he goes on to say that if you abide in me, I will give you my father's joy that he has put in me. And it will be your joy and your joy will be complete. Uh, There are some of you in this place this morning that would say, I don't know if I've ever known complete joy. I don't know if I've ever known this concept of complete joy. And that's because you have yet to experience the abiding love of Jesus that puts the Father's joy in you. It says, the joy that he gave to Jesus, I will give to you. The greatest level of joy you could ever experience is a byproduct of abiding in me. See, I think sometimes when we think about abiding, when we think about remaining, we think it's like some sort of next level of following Jesus. Like there's just following him and then there's those that abide in him. But abiding in him is supposed to be the first step in our relationship. That we just step in and we say, I'm connected to the vine. I wanna bear the fruit of what he has for me in this moment. See, in that moment he says, you are already clean because you've believed level one is already taken care of you've believed in the word that I sent and so you are already clean and here's what I know is that the world our city Sarasota it doesn't just need people who believe it needs people who abide and bear fruit It doesn't just need people who understand that they're clean because they believe in Jesus. It needs people who are abiding in him and bearing the fruit of that relationship because this is how you will be known as my disciples. You're not known as my disciples by your beliefs. You're not known as my disciples by the fact that you just accepted the word. You're known by my disciples when you bear fruit. You're known as my disciples when you bear the fruit of the relationship that you have in me. It's not just about believing. It's about abiding. So we have to examine the connections that we have in our lives and we have to restore the place of Jesus as our ultimate source. We have to restore the place of Jesus as the vine in our lives. We have to restore our trust in him to know. We don't have to avoid. We can come to him exactly how we are and we can say, here I am. I stir my affection towards you. I abide in you. And I believe that the natural byproduct is that I will bear the fruit that you have for my life. I'm done trying to do it on my own. I'm done trying to work up my own fruit. I'm done treading water. I'm done exhausting myself. I'm ready to abide and bear the fruit that you have for my life as the natural byproduct of my life. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes all across this room this morning?